Good morning. Welcome to Genesis this morning. That's a great truth we just sang about, about the amazing embrace of God of our lives through Christ and the fact that Christ reigns. And that's why we've gathered here this morning. We've gathered here as a people because Christ has done something in our lives and has called us to a life with him. So I want to welcome you here this morning. If you're new or newer to this community, um, in the seat pocket in front of you, you'll find one of these connection cards. This is a great way for us to connect to you, to hear your story, learn a little bit about you, and for you to get connected to this community and some of the things uh, that are going on. So I'd love to have you fill this out. You can drop it at the Welcome Center back there. There's a lot of great ways to stay connected with what's happening here at Genesis. One of the new ways you could do that is through our new Genesis app. Uh, you can find this uh, at the App Store or on Google Play. It's both for um, Apple and for Droid products. So this is a great way to keep up with what's going on through the blogs, events, and other things. Also, another way to connect is starting on July 22nd. I'm pretty excited about this. We're going to be starting our I Love the Church series on Sunday evenings. What this is, is this is basically our membership process. So if you've been coming to Genesis, you want to learn more about it, you want to start taking some steps to belonging as a member, this would be for you. Uh, this will meet uh, several weeks in the evenings on Sunday. Uh, again, it starts on July 22nd. And the reason we call it I Love the Church is we want to pe be a people who love God's church. Uh, his bride is in what we are, and we want to love that. And so that's why we call it that. Also, I'm pretty excited this morning. You're going to notice a couple changes this morning. One of those is with our kids. We're now uh, having our kids check in uh, before service um, back to uh, the Genesis Kids area. Also, in our 11 o'clock service, uh, we made some changes to Genesis Kids for some reason. Most of you already know this. We're doing full programming for our kids in the morning at the 9 a.m., but we still do have stuff for them at the 11. Uh, so if you haven't already brought kids back there, now would be a great time to do that. Also this morning, is we're getting ready to start our new summer series in Colossians. This is a great morning already, looking at who Jesus is and that Jesus is greater than everything. You guys are in for a real treat this morning. Uh, so let me pray for us, and then we'll continue and keep going. Father, we thank you that you have showed your love for us in Christ. We thank you that Christ is greater than anything we could desire in this world. And he is more uh, than what we desire from this world. And Father, his love and his embrace can transform our lives. I pray this morning as Michael comes up to deliver the word that our uh, hearts and our minds would be open to your word. Father, that the words that would sp be spoken today would be from you. They would transform us and challenge us. They would comfort those who need to be comforted. Father, they would draw us into your presence. We ask these things in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Well, good morning, Genesis. Glad you guys are here. Uh, as Jeremy mentioned, pretty excited about uh, what we start today. Uh, we are starting a nine-week uh, series uh, in the book of Colossians. Uh, two things I wanted to invite you, slash encourage you, slash challenge you to do. Uh, one would be this, uh, read Colossians. It's four chapters, uh, and the challenge would be uh, take the ni next nine weeks. Uh, that's how long our series is going to be. Uh, and over the next nine weeks, read Colossians nine times, which would mean once a week. Uh, honestly, you could probably get through Colossians in about uh, 20 minutes. Uh, so if you want to do uh, more than just nine times, that would be great. But at least once a week, uh, spend some time in Colossians, because uh, I think it's going to help uh, you as we walk through Colossians on Sunday morning. Uh, so once a week, read Colossians. The second invitation, uh, encouragement would be, uh, we've got a book called Jesus Plus Nothing uh, Equals Everything. Uh, and this is going to be in many ways a companion to our series in Colossians. It was written by uh, a pastor, author, uh, Tullian Chavidjan, uh out in Florida. And uh, when he was going through a really rough uh, time, serious transition in his life, uh, really God led him to uh, the book of Colossians. And uh, as he was studying and, uh, and being engaged by Colossians, uh, out of that study uh, is this book called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. So uh, in many ways, it would be helpful not only to read Colossians, but encourage you to pick up that book. 
Uh, you'd probably find that book on Amazon for $13, $14. We're selling it just for $10 uh, to help cover some of the cost. But I uh, encourage you to grab one of those books. It's a great summer read. So Colossians once a week. And uh, as you go through the summer, you're looking for something to read that would be challenging, encouraging, and engaging. Uh, bless you. Jesus plus nothing equals everything uh, would be a great, uh, great book to read. Um, again, we're starting Colossians today. And I wanted to share with you um, very briefly what my heart in even doing this series is. And uh, really my focus, my heart in this entire series is simply this, is that we would see uh, that we would see that Jesus is greater than everything. That's it. That's why we're doing Colossians, is my heart, my desire for all of us would simply be that we would see that Jesus is greater than anything and everything that we'd actually be able to say with great confidence, great conviction, uh, that if I have Jesus, I have everything. That I, if I have Jesus, if I'm in relationship with Jesus, I have absolutely everything. Now, I think there would probably be a lot of us who would say, you know, intellectually, even theologically, I would agree that Jesus is everything. But I don't want that just to be something intellectually you agree with or theologically you agree with. I want this to be a truth that is radically shaping all of you all of the time. That Jesus literally is everything. Now, the subtitle of the series is just simply Jesus is Greater. And I just, our focus, my heart is going to be to see that if you have Jesus, you have everything. And so really our guiding questions and throughout all of the messages that we'll have uh, in Colossians is going to be looking at or answering these two questions. And the two questions are simply this. What do we learn about Jesus in Paul's letter to the Colossians? What do we learn about Jesus? And then the second question is, how do we apply what we learn about Jesus to how we live, both individually and as a church? So over the next nine weeks, this is going to be our focus in Colossians, is what do we learn about Jesus, and how do we apply what we learn about Jesus to how we live? Again, Jesus is greater. I want us to have to be able to live that with confidence and conviction. Uh, now, I'm not certainly the first one who's uh, uh, realized this. Uh, many philosophers and theologians and authors and uh, thinkers, as it were, throughout time has made this observation about humanity is that humanity is always searching for something greater, for something bigger, for something more significant. And one author says it's our search. We want everything. And uh, actually in his book, Tully and Chavidjan uh, says this about humanity's quest for everything. He says this, There is a universal and insatiable yearning to experience more, to attain something higher, deeper, fuller, richer, stronger, wiser, safer, happier. Deeply and sincerely, we want to live larger than we do. We crave full acceptance and favor. We crave lasting affection and approval. We crave meaning and purpose, and we crave freedom from our limitations and restrictions and failures. Whatever security, happiness, relief, rescue, affirmation, meaning, and sense of purpose we're privileged enough to experience, it still isn't enough. And he goes on just to ask the question, well, why isn't it enough? And his answer is simply because we're people who crave everything. And I want us to see throughout this nine-week journey through Colossians, if you know Jesus, if you have Jesus in relationship with Jesus, you have absolutely everything. And if you look to anything other than Jesus for everything, you won't find it. This is exactly Blaise Pascal, his observation. French philosopher said this, because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object, that is to say, only by God himself. Our desire to be filled with this infinite, this everything, can only be filled by God himself. And so we begin the journey that Jesus is greater. If you have him, you have absolutely everything. Now, a question I wanted to ask you to help kind of, where are you as it relates to, is Jesus really everything, or is it just you agree with that, or is it actually impacting how you live? And the question is simply this. How would you answer this question? If I just had, fill in the blank, if I just had 
this or that or them, uh, then I would be happy, content, whole, satisfied. I'd have everything I need and or want. So how would you fill in the blank? If I could just have this status or more affirmation or this relationship or this career or these possessions or this, what would you, what would you fill in the blank with? If I just had this, then I know that I would have a greater sense of happiness or a greater sense of contentment or I would just feel whole. I would actually have satisfaction in my life if I could just have this. However you answered the this, your fill in the blank, as it were, is really a reflection right now of what your functional savior is. And what I mean by functional savior, it's what you're currently looking to to give you that everything, to give you that meaning, that that purpose, as it were. It's the Savior that you're currently turning to to find the everything. And again, my heart, as we go through this, this series in Colossians, if you have Jesus, you have it all. If you have Jesus, you have absolutely everything. So the next time you, you would see that question is, well, my fill-in-the-blank is just, you don't even need to ask me because I already have everything. I'm not wondering how to get more because I'm already experiencing all there is to experience in Jesus. Now, today, we're looking at 14 verses. Uh, and if you were here when we did the Roman series uh, last year, we literally walked through Romans, spent an entire year. It was a great journey through Romans. But we literally walked through verse by verse by verse. Uh, we're not going to do that in Colossians. As I've already mentioned, kind of the guiding questions for our study in Colossians is, what do we learn about Jesus, and how do we learn what, how do we apply what we learned about Jesus to how we live? And so this morning, I encourage you to write these down. I'm going to share four things that we learn about Jesus and some of the applications of how to apply what we learn about Jesus to how we live. Now, the first one is in just Colossians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now, when I honestly first read this, I was like, standard introduction for Paul. Anytime Paul writes a letter, he usually identifies, hey, it's me. I'm an apostle. I've been called by God to do this, and I'm with this person, and we send our greetings to you. But what happened when I read Colossians 1 this time around is what was not lost on me this time was who actually was writing this letter. Meaning when I considered wait a minute, this is the Apostle Paul. This is Paul, who was not always an apostle, who was not always the man really pursuing God's will for him. And the first thing that I want us to see in just this one verse uh, is this, what we learn about Jesus is this. Jesus changes lives in order to accomplish God's purposes for you and those around you. Jesus is the one the only one who can change lives so that in you, God's purposes, all of them would be accomplished for you and for those around you. So when I read this, it was not just, this is the Apostle Paul, and he was not always like this. And actually, just yesterday, in just my daily devotion of reading, I'm in, in uh, the book of Acts right now, uh, I, I came across Paul's testimony. And I love the, just the providence of God that I just read this yesterday. This is... Acts 26, and the Apostle Paul is standing before King Agrippa giving his testimony of this is what I used to be like before I met Jesus. And he says this, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Jesus changes lives. The Apostle Paul is living proof, living evidence. His passionate pursuit was to persecute anyone and everyone who said anything about Jesus. His obsession was to literally put down the growth of, of Christianity. But now the man who once formally persecuted with great vigor and passion 
is now writing letters to churches to encourage them that Jesus is greater, that Jesus is everything. And so as I sat with that, I was just so encouraged and reminded of this powerful truth. Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes lives to accomplish God's purpose in you and through you and and to those around you. And not only do I see that in the Apostle Paul, as he goes on in Colossians, I see Jesus literally changing the life of this church, the life of this community. Paul says in Colossians 3, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, and then verse 6, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And then verse 6, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Now what's amazing about this is Paul says, I've heard of your faith. This gospel is not only impacting people all over the world, but I hear that it's impacting you. Paul most likely was writing this letter from Rome. And Rome to Colossae is about 1,200 miles. 1,200 miles separated this man and this community. But this man, Paul, whose life had been changed by the gospel, is hearing how the gospel is literally changing these, these people's lives as well. Because of the gospel, because of Jesus at work in them, they're loving one another differently. They're loving how they have been loved. They are bearing fruit, as Paul says. Generally speaking, when Scripture speaks of fruit, it's talking about character. Character that is consistent with who we are as children of God. So Paul affirms, I hear that the gospel, that Jesus is literally changing your lives. And it's changing lives all over the world, which is really no small statement considering the first century, the persecution that Christians were having to endure. And so this gospel, Jesus changing Paul, lives all over the world, specifically the people in the Colossian church. Now, as I was thinking about, like, why? What is it about the gospel? What is it about Jesus in particular that is changing lives? And I don't know if you caught this, but Paul says uh, towards the end of uh, verse 6, they've been growing, bearing fruit when they heard and understood God's grace. Something happens to a person when they understand the grace of God. Like the grace of God understood, not just heard, but understood changes lives. Specifically, if you understand God's grace demonstrated to us in Jesus, if you really know and understand the grace of God, then I can live as one who's already received absolutely everything rather than living as one still trying to find everything or trying to earn everything or perform or do moral goods, religious goods, spiritual goods in hopes to get more. If I understand, not just heard about grace, but understood grace, I live as one who already has everything. Why? Because in Jesus, I have absolutely everything. And so the grace of God in Jesus is changing Paul, changing the world, changing Colossae. But I was wondering, well, where did this church even come from? Like, how did this church even come into existence? Well, it came into existence because one man's life was changed by Jesus, because he changes lives to accomplish God's purpose, and he brought back the life-changing message that he heard Paul preach to his hometown in Colossae. And his name is Epaphras. In Colossians 1, verse 7, you learned it. He's talking about the gospel. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Most likely, Epaphras heard Paul preach in Ephesus, which was about 100 miles away. And he was so taken by what he heard and what he had received as just Jesus, the demonstration of God's grace, that he said, I've got to go back home to my people, to my family, to my community, and tell everyone about this Jesus. It had so changed him that he went back to his community to tell people about Jesus. Thus, the church in Colossae gets planted. 
Jesus changes lives in order to accomplish God's purpose for you and for those around you. I see it in Paul. I see it in the Colossian church. I see it in Epaphras. But what's encouraging to me, I see it in us. I see it in you. I see literally Jesus changing people's lives. I'll give you fresh examples of five lives that I've seen change just this week. I see it in Jen Sutton. I see it in Krista Ginnon. I see it in Bruce Sterling. I see it in Jeremy Alexander. And I see it in Zach Wiernicke. If you paid, it all, paid at all attention to any of the blogs that we've been posting this week, those five individuals posted some phenomenal blogs of what Jesus is doing in their life. I could probably name more people, but I'm just giving five people that I know right now from what I read from what they posted uh, on our website this week. Jesus is changing their life. Clearly, they've not arrived. They've not been made perfect. But what's happening is Jesus literally is at work in people's lives. First thing that we learn about Jesus in Colossians is simply this. Jesus changes lives to accomplish God's purposes in us and around us. So before I move on to the next point, I wanted to just ask you the question, what is Jesus doing in your life? I would be, I think, as bold to say that if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you know Jesus, if you understand, received and understand literally the grace of God, it is impossible to stay as you are. It is impossible to stay the same if you know Jesus. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus changes lives to accomplish the purposes of God. So you might not post it in a public way, which is okay, but I do want you to know this is what Jesus is doing in my life. Because at a moment's notice, you should be able to tell people that. Why? Because you're excited about what Jesus is doing in your life. Why? Because he's changing your life. Well, what's he doing? The purposes of God are being accomplished in me. I'm not done, but he's working in me. He's changing me. What would your testimony be? What would you say? Because if you know Jesus, you can't stay the same. He loves you too much to, to let you stay where you are. He wants to take you so you experience all that God is doing with you and around you. That's the first thing. Jesus changes lives. The second thing that I would share is this. Not only is Jesus the one who changes lives, but Jesus, number two, Jesus is the foundation and the reason for our hope. Jesus is the reason, the only reason, foundation and reason for our hope. Paul says this in Colossians 1, verse 5 and 6. The faith and love that spring from, he's talking about how he's encouraged about their faith and their love. And then he goes on to identify that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Now, the beauty of hope placed in Jesus and Jesus alone is it's hope that is not without effect because of the hope that they had heavenward. The hope that they had literally in Jesus was impacting their faith, was impacting how they, they loved. I wrote it down like this. Where your hope is, your faith will follow. And where your faith is, so too will be your affections. Where your hope is, where you've placed your hope, your faith will follow. Faith is, in many ways, an action of where you've placed your hope. And where you've placed your hope, faith follows. And where your faith is, so too will be your affections. It's another simple way of saying where you place your hope is a really, really big deal. And if we did not have Jesus, we would be a people that would place our hope in things like career, degrees, money, possession, relationships, status, pleasure. We'd place our hope in these things, hoping that these things would do something for us. They would give us greater security, identity, significance, value, worth. So we'd place our hope in this in hopes to get something from them. But if you place your hope in any of those things that I mentioned, you'll be gravely disappointed. Why? Well, because they're man-made and they're man-centered. And any man-made or man-centered thing that you place your hope in, you'll be gravely disappointed. 
But Jesus makes clear, uh, Paul makes clear here in Colossians, you are a people that have placed your hope heavenward. You are a people that literally have placed your hope in Jesus. And when your hope is heavenward, and this is what was happening with them, it was impacting how they lived life before they got to heaven. Now, specifically, I'm going to share as more observations of if you are a person who's got your hope heavenward, meaning your hope is just in the promises of God, what Jesus has done, what Jesus has promised is waiting for us in heaven. So if your hope is established firmly in Jesus, heavenward, how does that actually impact how you would live? Well, I give you three. Things of earth, namely sin, they just don't look that appealing. If my hope is really in heaven, if my hope is really firmly just in Jesus and what he's promised for me, what he has secured for me in heaven, then why on earth would I dabble in anything less than that? Why would I, I literally play in the mud, as it were, when a kingdom has been promised to me, guaranteed to me? So if my hope is heavenward, I just don't settle for lesser things, namely sin. If my hope is heavenward, meaning Jesus, it actually helps me to stay focused on eternal things. Meaning, I give myself to things that really matter. If my hope is in heaven, meaning Jesus, I give myself fully to the things that, eternally speaking, matter. Things like, I want to serve the Lord with my life. That's a worthy thing to give your life to. And I don't mean just in a professional, like, pastor. I mean, with just me, my life. I, I want to serve the Lord, no matter where I am and what I'm doing. Why? Because it it's eternally would make a difference. I want to, if my hope is heavenward, I'm literally... I, I give myself to things that eternally matter. Serving, relationships. I want to invest in people because people matter to God. And relationships, I want to invest in helping people who are far from God find their way to God. That's an eternal thing I can invest myself in. I think a third observation would be it honestly transforms mundane moments into heavenly moments. If my hope is heavenward, then every conversation, every interaction... Every relationship that I have is an opportunity to influence someone to the hope that I have. Now, if my hope's not heavenward, then I don't really care what I'm talking to people about. I'll just keep it surfacey and talk about what, how the game went last night. But if my hope is heavenward, I see every moment as an opportunity to influence someone towards that same hope. I mentioned last week uh, um, our big ask for, for Kyle and I is, we really believe God's at work in our neighborhood. And we really want to be part of helping people who don't know God come to know God through Christ. And so I often walk through my neighborhood, praying for my neighborhood. And if someone waves to me, I see that's a sign that they want to be my best friend. So I'll go talk to them. So it happened yesterday. Went, some guy waved to me as I'm, I'm walking my neighbor's dog. And uh, his name is Phil. I went up and said, hey, Phil, how you doing? And, and I've met Phil so many times, and he's 71 and doesn't remember me. He's like, are you new to the neighborhood? Well, you know, kind of new. I moved here eight years ago. But, um, you know, so I'm just talking to Phil, trying to build a friendship with Phil. And Phil just came out, and I asked him, Phil, how's your summer going? He said, oh, it's, I'm cancer-free. It's like, well, Phil, praise God that you're cancer-free. And the look on his face was like, what? Why would I praise God that I'm cancer-free? He didn't say that, but I could just see the expression on his face. And I was just like, Phil, I'm so excited that you're cancer-free. I'm going to keep praying that this would you'd live cancer-free. And he just kind of ignored the comment and went off and talked about other things. But I saw that as a moment. That's it. It was just a seed. But if I really believe my hope is in heaven in Jesus, then every moment, every conversation, whether I think it's this mundane moment of walking a dog and talking to a neighbor turns into an opportunity to plant a seed for someone else to place their hope in God. Jesus is the foundation and the reason for our hope. And when our hope is in Jesus, it's heavenward, it's not without effect. The third thing that I would say that we learn about Jesus in these few verses is, uh, number three is this. Jesus is the one that enables me to care deeply for others. Jesus is the one 
I'd say the only one, that enables me to care deeply. And I mean really meaningfully for other people. Now, you're going to see this throughout the letter, uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, but Paul had such a heart for these people. He had such an affection for these people. Now, what's amazing to me is he'd never met them. He'd never met them. He had not been to Colossae. He had been to Ephesus and spent uh, some time there, but Colossae and Ephesus is about 100 miles apart. He never made the journey from Ephesus to Colossae, and he's writing this letter from Rome. So I see in Paul a man who literally was enabled to care deeply, specifically for these people. And I can say I know that, I see that, I even feel that primarily in the way that he prays for these people. I want to read a few verses of, uh, this is really an expression of how deeply Paul, the Apostle Paul, cared for a community of people that he had never even met. Colossians 1, I'm going to read verse 3 in the 9 through 12. I just want you to hear his heart in this prayer. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Let me just stop there. Is that not amazing? Do you ever pray like that when you pray for someone and then you just let them know? And I don't mean a prideful way, but you go to someone. And, I just wanted you to know, when I prayed for you, I thank God for you. I am so excited for you and about you. You can't say that unless your heart cares deeply for that person. And Paul, we always, we're constantly, continually giving thanks to God for you. Well, because we love you. We care about you. He goes on, verse 9 through 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being, excuse me, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that, you may be, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now, clearly, you could spend the next four weeks just unpacking that prayer. There is so much that Paul prays for when he prays for these people. If you go back and read uh, verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you. We not met you, but as soon as we heard about you, we just kicked into to prayer for you. Why? Because we care deeply for you. And specifically, Paul, he directs his prayers towards God the Father. He's not just, I don't know if you've ever heard this or had someone say this to you, but hey, I'm, I'm wishing you well. You're going through a hard times, so, you know, I'm thinking about you. Well, I don't know if you've ever done this. You can try it. It makes the other person feel very awkward. When you say you're, you know, thinking about me, what are you thinking about? You're passing along thoughts, wishing me well thoughts. Well, what kind of thoughts are you? I'd like to hear more about these thoughts. Paul, when he tells these people, I'm praying for you, I am going to the living God. I'm going to God the Father on your behalf. And I'm expressing great joy and gratitude for you. And I'm going to God on your behalf, asking that God would be at work in you enabling you to live out the fullness of Jesus. I'm asking and going to God on your behalf, asking that you would be a people that would live lives that are worthy of Jesus. All the time, everywhere you go, lives that are literally pleasing to Him. Because He, he cared for them, He prayed that they would bear fruit in every way. I'm praying for your character that it would be consistent with who you are as kids of the King. I'm pray he prayed that they would grow in the knowledge of God. Meaning, not that you would just know something, but you would apply what you know to how you live. That's wisdom. He was praying that for them. Lots of people know lots of things. That doesn't make you smart. 
What makes a person wise, biblically speaking, is they are applying what they know to how they live. If you don't apply what you know to how you live, the Bible calls you a fool. And Paul says, I don't want you to be fools. I want you to have the wisdom of God so it literally impacts how you live. He says he's praying that they would live in the power of Jesus. Power to have endurance, power to have patience and joy and gratitude. Now again, I I totally understand that we could spend so many weeks on the content of this prayer, but when I read Paul's prayer for this church, two things happen within me. Number one is this, I want to be a living answer to that prayer. When I read that, I am so inspired to say, I want to be a living answer to this prayer. And the second thing that happens to me when I read this prayer is I want to pray this way for you. And I'm not just saying that as your pastor. I'm saying that as a fellow brother. I want to pray, pray this deeply for you. Why? Because I love you. And I don't know all of you. I don't know all of your stories. I don't know where you've come from. But I know that I can't live out this answer, be an answer to this prayer, and I can't pray this deeply for you unless Jesus is at work in me, helping me to care deeply. I know I can't do that on my own. And so the third thing that I just see in this prayer, I'm inspired by the content of how he prayed. But even more than that, I see that Jesus is the one that is enabling Paul, that is enabling me to care deeply for those around around me. Paul, he just loved the people he never met. I want to love you that deeply. My prayer is that, oh, okay, you're the pastor. You kind of have to say that. No, my prayer is that you would look at this room, this community of people and say, I want to love the people in this church like that. And I want to pray prayers, thanking God for them and going to God and begging that God would be so at work in their lives so that all of us would live lives that are pleasing to God. That would be honoring to Jesus. question is, how do we grow in caring for others like this? And how do we live as answers to this prayer that Paul prayed? Now, for some, this might sound like a, too much of a Sunday school answer. I'm okay with that because it's the answer. How do we grow in caring for others like this? How do we live as answers? And the simple answer is, enjoy Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. I just want to ask you that question now. If you're here and you know Jesus, you have a relationship with Jesus, you are a Christian. Are you enjoying Jesus? Are you literally, when you think about Jesus, you just smile. You're encouraged that you get to know Him, walk with Him, hear from Him, spend time with Him. Are you enjoying Jesus? Or is Jesus at some level becoming just a burden for you to bear? He's kind of an inconvenience on your crowded lifestyle on a busy schedule. The thought of having to take 30 minutes of your 24-hour day just to be with Jesus in prayer, is that a burden, inconvenience, or is that, my goodness, 30 minutes, I want so much more. If we would be people that care deeply, live as answers to that prayer, I know I can't, I know you can't, we can't do that if we're not with Jesus, if we're literally not enjoying Jesus. Jesus. And so my prayer, my hope, my heart for me, for you, would be in this series. Even today you would see, wow, Jesus is greater. I can enjoy the greatest thing in knowing Jesus, being known by Him. I can enjoy time just in His Word. I can enjoy time in His community. Are you enjoying Jesus? As you do, the transformation begins to take place where you begin to enjoy what Jesus enjoys which is people. Which is caring deeply for people expressed in how you pray for them and how you love them. Three things. Jesus changes lives in order to accomplish God's purpose. Jesus is the foundation and reason for our hope. Jesus is the one that enables us to care deeply, and I mean deeply, for others. And number four is this. Jesus is our rescuer and redeemer. These Closing two verses, Jesus, or Paul says this, For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness 
and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I hope to be super clear and super strong in this point. Without Jesus, we would all be in hell. We would be separated from God forever in eternity in hell. This is what Paul makes clear. He, Jesus, is the one that has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That's another way of saying he has literally rescued us from hell. Not only that, but he is the one who redeemed. He is the one who took us from here and he brought us into heaven in the kingdom of light. Without Jesus, we would be lost for eternity in the dominion of darkness. But Jesus, because He is our rescuer, He is our redeemer. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. My question to you in this, when I really read these verses, it just gave me pause. Is what Jesus did, and this is my question, is what Jesus did, what He's done for you, literally rescued you from hell, from an eternity in hell, is what Jesus has done in forgiving all of our sins, past, present, and future, our Redeemer. He's literally redeemed, set us free from sin and forgiven us. So is what Jesus has done, is it really guiding all of you all of the time? When you consider, my goodness, this is what Je- he, he did this for me, is it really guiding all of you all of the time? The Apostle Paul, I'm going to read two verses And Paul Paul says this in Corinthians, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's Paul's way of saying, if you really believe that Jesus did this for you, that he died for you in your place, rescuing you from where you should have gone, If you really believe that, then you live for Him. How could you not live for the one who gave Himself completely for you? He goes on in Galatians. He says this, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. If Christ did this, if He died for me, then I live for Him. By faith, I live for Him. What Paul is essentially saying, in light of what Jesus has done, how could I live or act as if nothing happened? Now, I shared a story with you, um, not to impress anyone, but I once saved a life. Uh, I literally once saved a life. Only one. And I was a lifeguard. I was a swimmer, uh, growing up. And this was uh, post-high school. Me and some buddies were jumping off a bridge. Not a good thing to do, but we did. Uh, and I didn't know, it was a small group, probably about six of us, and I didn't know two of the guys in the group. They were just kind of friends of friends. And so we were together and jumped off the bridge. We'd swim about 70 yards to, to the beach, get back up, walk around. Well, after the first pass, we all jumped in the, in the water. Uh, since I was a swimmer of the group, I got back to the beach uh, first. And looking back, I noticed one of the guys who had jumped off uh, was looked like he was going under. And I thought at first he was kind of playing around, but other friends got to the beach and said, I'm like, is he messing around? What's he doing? Like, he actually doesn't know how to swim. And so I sprinted as fast as I could, 70 yards. He was going under. I mean, if you've ever seen someone drowning, it's not, it's not like the movies. It's one of the most scary. Your heart is pumping because if you lose sight of him, then he's under. And it's very difficult to find someone when you're that far away underwater. And so I sprinted out as fast as I could, grabbed him, and brought him back to shore. Now, when we got back to shore, he was not unconscious. I didn't have to do CPR or anything like that. It took him a few minutes to kind of gather his composure, but then he took off. And what, why I'm sharing this story with you is what amazed me about this guy is he never even said thank you. He never once said thank you. And I remember seeing him in the weeks to follow, and I could tell that he was, try- he was totally avoiding me that it was almost like I was a reminder to him of something that he just didn't like. And so he never talk, I never talked to him after that. And literally after a few weeks, a month went by, I never saw him again. But 
but never once did he ever say anything to me. And obviously, I didn't save him so I get this big thank you card in the mail. I saved him because he was going to die. Now, why I share this story with you, I don't want to do that to Jesus. I don't want to live my life acting like what he did for me wasn't a really big deal. I want my life to be a reflection of, Jesus, I cannot believe that you rescued me from hell. I can't believe, Jesus, that all my sins are forgiven. Jesus, I can't believe that there's nothing I could ever do that would separate me from you and how much you love me. I don't want my life to be lived in such a way where, Jesus, it's really not that big of a deal. Thanks for saving. Thanks for rescuing. Thanks for redeeming. I want what Jesus, who he is as my rescuer and a redeemer and redeemer to be what guides everything in my life. So practically, when sin comes, how could I possibly do that? In light of what you've done for me, in light of a perfect life that you lived, a painful, brutal death you died, how could I just choose sin rather than choosing your love? How, when forgiveness is required, when someone's hurt me, wronged me, big, little, in between, how could I not but forgive that person? How could I not say, Jesus has forgiven me of so much, of course I forgive you. When it comes time to love someone that's doing unlovely things or is just hard to love, you have people in your life like that. I want my response to be to them, how could I not love you? I was so prideful, rebellious, and wicked, and Jesus, you did this for me. You loved me. You demonstrated. How could I not love people? When sacrifice is required, how could I not be the first one to stand up, sign me up, I'll sacrifice, I'll give, I'll serve, I'll give of my, my finances and my resources and my time, I'll do whatever I, I can to help. Why? Because I know what sacrifice now looks like because Jesus did that for me. I just don't want my life to, to be lived in such a way where I was like, what I, I do to Jesus what this kid did to me did to me. So let me ask one more time and we'll finish with this. Is what Jesus did for you, rescuing you and redeeming you, is it guiding all of you? Every aspect of your life is Jesus as your rescuer and Jesus as your redeemer. Is it guiding all of you all of the time? I'm really excited to walk through Colossians with you. Because much like I saw afresh, my eyes were so open to who God is and what God is like in our Jonah series. Just in these first 14 verses of Colossians, my eyes have just been opened afresh to Jesus is greater. If I know Jesus, have Jesus, I have everything. Why? Well, Jesus is the one who changes. He changes me. He doesn't put band-aids on me. He literally performs a heart surgery so that in me and through me, God's purposes are absolutely accomplished. Jesus is he's my foundation and reason. That's, he's, he's my hope. I know that in Jesus, my hope is I won't be disappointed. And because my hope is in Jesus, it's going to have a huge effect on my faith, on my ability to love. Jesus is the one that enables me to really care deeply. To care deeply. And as we just saw, Jesus is our rescuer and redeemer. He's greater. Jesus is everything. I want you just not to see that over the next nine weeks. I want you to see that today. And so my question as we close is, do you know Jesus? And if you're here today and you've been in a place of Jesus has just been good stories to me or I've heard of this man. Well, today, I don't want you just to hear of him. I want you to experience him. I want you to begin that relationship with him, and we do that through faith. We literally, if you don't know Jesus, today's your day where you invite him into your life to begin that relationship. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. You are a rescuer and redeemer. Jesus, make my life completely 
about you and for you. If you've never done that, do that today. And if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, just simply finish with that, that question. Is who Jesus is, all that Jesus accomplished, is it guiding all of you all of the time? And as, I've, as we've been going these last 35 minutes, if Jesus has brought something to mind, maybe a functional Savior, you're choosing Jesus plus this in hopes to get everything, repent of that, whatever the plus is, as it were, whatever that fill in the blank, so that you as a Christian would say, no, I have everything in Jesus. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as a community. God, I give thanks. Jesus, I give thanks that you are at work in this community. God, that you are literally changing lives. Jesus, I pray for that, that one or two or three or more who are here today because you brought them here and they don't know who you are. Jesus, I pray that today their hearts would just receive you as Redeemer, as Rescuer, as Savior, as Lord, and they would begin by faith that relationship with you. Jesus, for those that have begun that relationship, that journey with you, Jesus, whether a week ago, a year ago, ten years ago, or longer, Jesus, if there's things in our lives that are hindering us from just enjoying you, if we're adding something, God, I pray we'd... You'd reveal that to us and we'd repent of that today. That we'd have with just firm conviction and confidence that Jesus and you, we have absolutely everything. Jesus, give us the courage and grace we need to respond to you in this place today. Just as we uh, continue to worship, um, some of our leaders are up front that if you'd like to pray with them, if uh, God's just laid something on your heart, you want to pray about or pray into, come pray with them. Um, come share maybe what God's been sharing with you and allow them, because uh, they love you, to pray with you and for you. Uh, and if you're a Christian, and even if you just became a Christian about 60 seconds ago, you confess Jesus, then come celebrate communion today. And just give thanks that Jesus did it all. That Jesus did it all on the cross.